0: Remember that party said about me preaching and teaching? Well, it's going to go a little longer. <laughs> Junior, church. Junior church, you are dismissed, five through eight years of age. Sorry for holding you up. Galatians, please. Galatians chapter four. Not your typical Christmas text. But I hope you'll see it's a good one. This is the last installment, if I can say, of our worst case scenario series we've been doing. And on page 140 of the survival adventure section of the worst case scenario book, it says, How to Survive an Avalanche. Number one, struggle to stay on top of the snow. by using a freestyle swimming motion. I can't imagine being caught in an avalanche and remembering that. <laughs> but nevertheless, number 2. If you are buried, your best chance Listen to this. Your best chance of survival if if someone sees you get covered. That doesn't give a lot of hope, does it? <laughs> number 3. And I've never seen this. If you are partially buried, now if you're in an avalanche, is that possible? You are partially buried, you can dig your own way out with your hands or by kicking the snow. That probably should be just marked off. And lastly, number four, if you are completely buried, chances are you will be too injured to help yourself. Thank you very little. Not a lot of hope. Statistics say that 200 people, while they're skiing, are killed every year by avalanches. Definitely one of the most dangerous things you can do when it comes to snow sports. And it is a worst case scenario for many people. I actually watched a video on the internet this week, and there was a guy who, with his friends, went down first on an area that you're not supposed to ski, and they videoed it. And he was covered by 12 feet of snow. Now, they defied all the rules because they saw him get covered up. They saw where he was, but he was 12 feet under packed snow. And this is what they quote, and I watched them say it. They said this, he was cemented in. And by the time that we got to him and with our hands were able to dig down to where he was, it was too late. And they said it with tears. Now, I watched that video, and then I read Galatians. Did you know nine times in Galatians, the word under is used? Two times in our text, in chapter 4, it says that we were under a guardian, under a schoolmaster, someone that was bringing us along under the tutelage, under the law. But the vast majority, seven out of the nine times, the word is used in this way. Verse 10 That because of the law, we are under a curse. Can you feel the weight of that? Under a curse. Verse 22 of chapter 3 says that we are under sin. Scripture, ESV says, has imprisoned everything under sin. More weight on top. Five times In chapter 3, chapter 4, verses 4, 5, 21, chapter 5, 18, it says we are under the law. Can you feel it? Can I tell you this today? Because of our disobedience to God's commandments, because of our willful disobedience and our sinful choices, you and I have an avalanche that we are dealing with, a worst case scenario of the worst proportions, but it's not an avalanche of snow, it is an avalanche of sin, And we are not, and I'll say it nicely, we are not partially buried by it. We are completely buried by it. Not 12 feet under, but infinite feet under. See, this is a worst case scenario that doesn't just affect a couple of hundred people every year and threaten their lives. No, not just a few people, not just some people. Not even just most people, but chapter 3 and verse 10 says this, that all of us, see the word all in 3.10? All of us are under this curse. It says every one of us. Chapter 3 and verse 22 says everything. So put it together. Everyone, everything, we have been under this avalanche of sin and the law and the curse because of it. Another video I watched, believe it or not, a guy not knowing why he was wearing it at the time, but had a helmet cam on. And you could see everything. And I I honestly wouldn't recommend that you watch it. Because it it has him going down the slopes, you're watching it on his head cam, helmet cam. And all of a sudden, the snow that he disturbed at the top is following him down to the bottom. And it catches up to him, overcomes him. He falls forward, flipping and turning and it's all on, the, on his cam, and all of a sudden it goes blue because of the snow, and then goes white, and then goes almost dark. And he is completely covered—I mean, completely covered in snow. And he—and literally five minutes of the video is him, where all you can see is the snow right in front of his cam, and he is crying, and he's making noises. He can't hardly breathe, and you could hear him trying to work at it. And then literally five minutes later of this watching this video, you should see it when finally his friends rush down to find him, and he was only five feet deep. But they barely and they they pull the snow away from the top, and he actually sees their faces, and he can't still talk, but he's making noises almost like jubilation, of course. And you're watching this on the video. See. The article that introduced that video was called this. This is what it feels like to get buried alive in a snow avalanche. Now that visual description was moving. Paul doesn't give us a visual one, but he gives us a verbal one. A verbal description of what it's like to be completely buried alive in your sin. When you are under the law. And it's found in chapter 5 in verses 17 and 18. It's not a helmet cam. It is a heart cam. If you could have a cam on your heart. Show all the things that go on in a person's heart that is buried in their sin. This is what it would look like. This is what it would feel like. Chapter 5 in verse 17 says this for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you ought to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. But if you are under the law, this is what it would look like, verse 18. Look at this. This is the heart cam of every person who's ever lived. He says, The works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and like things like these. It's not even a complete video. It's not even a complete description of what a real heart cam of someone dead in their sins is really all about. He says, and if this is you, which is every one of us apart from Christ, everyone, if you've been wholly decimated by the avalanche of sin he says you will not inherit the kingdom of god he says look at the list your sinful not just your sinful deeds because you say oh pastor walker we all do wrong things yeah but this is deeper deeper you are under deeper than that look at all the sinful desires that are in there i mean the passions the anger see it goes as deep as you are your core See, to be under an avalanche of sin means that we are depraved all the way to the deepest part of who we are. Buried deep under sin. And remember number three and four in the worst case scenario book, if you're partially buried, you can dig your own way out. And then number four says, by the way, if you're completely buried, which we are in sin, you'll be too hurt to dig your way out. Can I tell you this morning, you're never going to dig your way out of this one. And this is the worst case scenario, the worst of the worst. And you and I, in our sin, we are so deep, so covered up, so buried alive in it, we will nev- never dig our way out. Statistics show that 93% of avalanche victims survive if dug out within 15 minutes. After that, the rates drop radically and quickly. After 45 minutes, only 20 to 30% of the people survive. And if you are buried in an avalanche for two hours plus, to be frank, you might as well forget it. But what if you've been buried by an avalanche of sin? What if you were buried from birth, which we are? What if you have been buried by choice for your entire life, like every one of us have been? Galatians tells us in this text and defines Christmas this way. Christmas is God sending his rescue team to dig you out from under the law, to dig you out from under sin and the curse that goes along with it because of its penalty. And so God, listen in the text, verse 4, can you see it with me? God, the Bible says, at the perfect time when the fullness of time had come, at the perfect place in redemptive history... Here's what God did. He sent his rescue team to dig you out. And that rescue team consists of God sending his son and God sending his spirit. See, it's a Trinitarian effort. And here's what I took away from that. That my condition in, under the avalanche of sin is so serious that it took the Godhead to dig me out. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It took all of them together to be able to get me out from the weight of the sin that was over my head. And that's the condition of all of us this morning. And so God did this. If you can read it with me. Verse 4, God sent forth his Son. Those are missionary words. God sent forth his Son. Why? Because not just anyone could dig you out of this worst case scenario. Not just anyone could come along and with their hands and dig you out and dig down to where you were. No, 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 not at all. It takes someone special. And so the Apostle Paul, knowing that, says, let me tell you, God sent forth his son. And why did it have to be his son? Because here's the reason. Only he's qualified. Only he has the ability. And that's why he describes it this way. He says he was born of woman. In other words, that's referring to the incarnation. That's Christmas in a nutshell, isn't it? Jesus taking on flesh. Christmas coming into our world. God did not just send an angel. He didn't just say in heaven, hope you can dig yourself out. No, God sent his son, the first member of the rescue team. And he says, if you're going to be dug out from way down where you are, only my son can do that. So the Bible says, here's how he's why He's qualified. He was born a woman. He came into your world. He became a man. But not just a man, he became a Jewish man because it goes on to say this, he was born under the law. See, he put himself, although he wasn't in our condition, he put ourselves under our condition. See, he never broke the law, he never sinned, but that's what he did. Not only incarnation, but subjugation. See, Jesus humbled himself and he became a man. And he became a Jewish man under the law. Why? Because in the context, Paul's trying to say, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew, and it doesn't matter whether you're a Gentile. Everybody has to be dug out by God the same way. And so it doesn't matter this morning. Listen, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're black or whether you're white, whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you're male, whether you're female, whether you're religious or not religious. It doesn't. Here's why. Because we all need dug out. And there's only one person that can do that. I read a lot of avalanche stories this week. And in every single one of them, here's the the truth. And it's not surprising that when someone gets dug out in time, it always starts from the top to the bottom. It starts up here and they dig down to where they are. But Jesus' story and how he rescued us is unique in this way, that he starts down at the bottom where we are and digs up from there See, he brings us up. See, Christmas is about this. God coming where you are so that he could bring you where he is. He was born under the law that you might not die in your sin under the law. See, he obeyed the law even though you disobeyed the law. So, Pastor Walker, why did he come like that? Why did he humble himself like that? Why did he come down all the way, I mean, that deep where I am, when I was that far down, when the avalanche was so far over my head, why did he come down to where I was? And the Bible doesn't leave us guessing. Verse 5 tells us because there's two purpose clauses. It says in verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law. See, the word redeem means to buy out from under Whether you're under sin, whether you're under slavery, whether you're under the curse, whether you're under the law. And the word redeem means to buy at a price. See, it was a very costly Christmas for God. Very costly. It cost him his son. And eventually it was very costly for Jesus because it cost him his life. I don't know if you've got your shopping done already. Some of you are still waiting. I'm not sure why, but you might be. Did you know that if you have the money, you can get your wife or your loved one 24-karat gold shoelaces? It only costs 19000 You can get a Batman golf cart for $28,000, a completely glass, see-through, transparent pool table for your basement, Seventy-three thousand. You can get Dolce and Gabbana sunglasses. Sorry, honey, you will not be getting these. Three hundred eighty-three thousand. And if you are a pet lover, how many have dog or cat? Hmm. You can get a collar with sixteen hundred diamonds in it for your pet for three point two million. <laughs> I'm thinking an extra can of food. That's it. Listen, all of that pales in comparison to what it cost God for Christmas. The greatest gift of all could never be measured or bought with money. Peter says it this way. 1 Peter 1:18 and 19. For you are not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, received from the empty conduct and behavior of your ancestors. But listen to this, but with the precious blood of Christ. Precious. It's valuable. Infinitely valuable. See, to buy you out from under the law and under sin and the curse, see, to get, dig you back up so you could be alive again, you know what it costs? Jesus, his life. The only other time the word redeemed is used in Galatians is verse 13 of chapter 3, and it reads like this. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Listen to this. Having become a curse for us, you see, he took our avalanche. He didn't deserve our sin, but he took it its a penalty, its weight. He let the avalanche crush him. He took it. See, truthfully, Easter is the cost of Christmas. Because the Bible says, you know why he took our curse? Because cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And I want your mind to go from Christmas tree to Easter tree. If you want to get the full understanding of the gospel, the presence under the tree became a present on the tree. And that's why we can be redeemed. That's, why he, that's the price he paid. That's what it cost to dig you and I out. Not just from slavery. Oh, no but to make us sons. See, God wants you to have a family Christmas this year. More than just the family that you were born into, but a family that you can be reborn into. So he says to us in the Bible, in the text, second purpose clause, so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, he wants to give you a new status. He wants to take you out of this family and put you into his family. But he wants to make you no longer a slave to all those things. He wants to take you and make you a son, and not just any son. He wants you to make you a son of God. And did you know it took the son of God to make you a son of God? You know how that happens? Well, chapter 3 and verse 29 says, For you are all sons of God through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Did you know you can't become a son of God? You can't be liberated. You can't be emancipated. You can't be freed from your sin by yourself. You cannot dig yourself out. You can't be good enough. You can't be righteous enough. You can't come to church enough. You can't be religious enough. And going to the sacraments and being baptized as an adult or infant and being good and hopefully at the, at the judgment seat, it outweighs each other and the good outweighs the bad, that'll never do it. Giving money in the offering plate today, that won't do it. None of that. You cannot hear me. You cannot dig yourself out. It is only through faith, through trusting Jesus, that when he died on the cross and rose again, see, that is the penalty and payment for your sin. That alone can dig you out. So the first member of the rescue team, God sent forth his son. But the text goes on to say in verse 6, and because you are sons... The second member of the rescue team, God sent forth the spirit of his son. See, God not only sent Jesus or Christmas into the world. He sent Christmas into your heart. See, Christmas on the outside is the historical event that really happened that Jesus died for your sins. He redeemed you. He took your avalanche. He became the curse for you. Christmas on the outside. But the reality takes place personally. When he sends his spirit into your heart, see, that's Christmas on the inside. And what happens when that takes place? Here's the affirmation. Here's the confirmation of the reality of Christmas outside becoming inside. He says the spirit of God lives in you, and he cries this. Here's what the spirit says. Abba, Father. It's interesting. It's only said three times in the New Testament. The first is Jesus saying it to his father in the garden of Gethsemane in Mark 14, 36. He's crying out in agony at, can I say it reverently, his worst case scenario. And he's going to drink the cup, which is the redemption for our sins. And he dies on the cross. And he says, Father, if it's possible to take this cup from me. And then he says this, listen, your will be done. And he cries, Abba, Father. See, Jesus cries, Abba, Father. In our text, the Spirit of God, when he comes into your heart, see, he cries, Abba, Father. You know why? Because when you know God, it is not just a religion. It is a relationship. Abba is Aramaic for daddy. And Jesus had that kind of connection, that kind of relationship with his father. And the Holy Spirit has that kind of connection And if you read Romans 8, 14, and 15, the third time Abba is used, it says this. It says that because the Spirit's in you, you, in your heart, you cry, Abba. See, isn't that, it's it's kind of like a family trait. If you're in the family of God and you're a son of God, see, Jesus cries Abba, the Spirit cries Abba and Romans 8, 14, and 15, you cry. Why? Because God lives in you. So you may know all about Christmas on the outside. You may know all about the tree and Jesus being born in a manger and you understand the nativity. And you may know all about the facts of Jesus dying on the cross and maybe even understand to some point why he had to. But until it becomes Christmas in your heart, until you have the Holy Spirit of God confirming that you are his child because he cries out and you cry out and you have a relationship that begins to change and form your life, see, that's Christmas. That's Christmas. And if you come by faith this morning and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone to dig you out from under all the weight of the avalanche of your sin, see, if that's true, he says, verse 7, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, and if that's true, then you're an heir. You know what that means? Let's argue from the greater to the lesser. If the greatest worst case scenario is your sin, and Jesus has dug you out, what does that mean for the lesser ones, all the lesser ones, that you can have no issues anymore because you're a son? And Jesus is with you. And you're in his family. And can I tell you this? It makes all the difference in the world how you face everything. That Romans text says this, that you have not been given the spirit of fear, it says, but you've been given the spirit of adoption and that's why you cry Abba. See, before you get the spirit of God in you, you know what's in you? Fear, fear of death, fear of hell. Fear of how you're going to face all these issues. But when you come to know Christ and through His Spirit, and the Spirit of God dwells in you, and you cry, Abba, ah, here's what you know I have the Heavenly Father that's going to walk me through all my worst case scenarios because He's my Father. If that reality is not your reality, and you're here and you're under the weight of your sin, would you let Jesus dig you out through His cross, death, and resurrection? Would you put your faith and trust in Him alone? Maybe it's time for you to join the family, the family of God, for Christmas this year. Let's bow our heads and hearts in prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. Maybe you're here this morning and like so many over the years, I've sat in my office and I've seen what the avalanche of sin can do. I've seen people in tears. They don't know what they're, they've destroyed the marriage that they loved, relationships with their children, their own health, because of choices, sinful choices they've made, and the avalanche of sin has just buried them. I mean, buried them. Now listen, maybe the the depth of this sin in your life is not as great or as high as someone else's, but we're all buried in it. And I don't know what fears in your heart or tears are in your eyes or thoughts go on in your mind. But maybe this morning you would say, Pastor Walker, for the first time, I'm never gonna dig out of this one. I need a savior in Jesus, not just to get me out of my troubles, but my worst case scenario, my sin. My sin. I feel the weight of that, Pastor Walker. And I'll be honest, I don't know Jesus. Oh, I know about him. But I don't cry, Abba, Father. I don't have that relationship by faith with him. But I would like to this morning. I need to. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just raise your hand and I'll pray for you as I close. All over the auditorium say, I need to put my faith and trust in Jesus. He died for me and rose again so that I might know forgiveness of sins. Would you just raise your hand and I'll pray for you as we close. This morning, anyone, while we wait? Anyone, balcony or the main floor, either way. Have there been anyone else this morning say, listen, Pastor Walker, I am a son of God. But you know what? In my life, I'm not facing my worst case scenarios thinking that I'm an heir, that I have a father in heaven. That's not part of the equation for me. And I need to realize all that he, not only who he is, but what he's done for me, and let that have a bearing on how I face every other, every other worst-case scenario in my life. I need that in my life. Would you just pray for me also? You just slip your hand up, and I'll pray for you as well. Again, on the main floor, in the balcony, either, either way. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to sing 308. Sing 308, and I'll pray first, and then we're going <clears> to <throat> sing together. Father thank you for your word. Father, I pray that as we consider the avalanche of sin, that you send a rescue team for us, and that we might be humbled by that, and that we might turn to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit to know that there is redemption. There is a Redeemer. It's Jesus, God's own Son. For those who don't know that reality by faith, may you work to bring them to regeneration, to be born again, to repent. For those who are Christians, who are sons of God, by your grace and for your glory, help us to live accordingly as we face our worst-case scenarios. In Jesus' name, amen.